I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think you got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. And welcome, everybody. Happy New Year. Welcome In the Booth here on ESPN Radio. Thanks to Steve and Seth and the guys getting us ready to rock and roll here Unusual schedule for us. No shows last week. This is the only show this week. Traveling tomorrow with the basketball team off to beautiful South Bend, Indiana. It's lovely this time of year. It really is. I don't. We can't throw stones. It's gotten a lot better. Don't want to. Don't. We're not in position to do that. They, the. I will say this though. The ride from the airport to the hotel in South Bend is as gray as you could possibly imagine it. Basically, looks. They did a good job. The opening scene of Rudy, which is you know set in set in the early '60s or late '50s, that's it. Still looks that way, and uh, kind of buildings that have been left for dead and everything. But once you get around the campus, then it's incredible. Having done this for 20 years now, going to South Bend, it's gotten a lot better. There was a point where South Bend had no restaurants. That's right. Like, the facility's I mean, great. When you once you get there, when you got into town, if you got there after eight o'clock, you were not eating in South Bend. <laughs> so it's gotten a lot better. Right where we stay, Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah, the, well, that moved. It's not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that was the hot spot. Remember the game? Uh, there was the year where there was some sort of travel issue. We went to Buffalo Wild Wings after the game. I was still flying then. Yeah, yeah. we were uh, waiting for the plane or whatever it was, but. Which uh, takes us back to our bowl trip, actually, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, South Bend, Indiana, used to be the home of the College Football Hall of Fame, which was uh, a really neat. Now it's even better in Atlanta, but uh, certainly it's founding in South Bend. It was a tribute to Notre Dame first and foremost, but college football in general. They did a nice job with it, and the hotel that we stay in in South Bend, right across the street. Kind of miss being able to uh, duck in on the College Football Hall of Fame. But right there on that block, that's grown out a little bit. There's some options there. McDonald's. And then uh, if you head uh, out of town a little bit, you can uh, see some sites and some other uh, options and choices. And then game day. This will be a quick in and out. It's uh, a noon game on Saturday, a big one, ACC opener for Syracuse. Notre Dame has already lost on the road in conference play. They've got a depleted roster, really, uh, impacted by injury. And Syracuse figures to get off to a good start here in conference play. They need to and uh, can win their conference opener on Saturday and then home next week for two games where they'll be favored. Clemson's pretty good. That one's in the middle of next week and then uh, Georgia Tech on the weekend. But uh, a favorable start to the ACC schedule ahead. Speaking of ACC, that's, uh, now that we just threw shade at South Bend a little bit, what would you say is the most underrated ACC town? Like you know, Miami's well, my stock be answer fun, on that Boston. is always Louisville. You know, Louisville's a really fun place to go because people say, "Wait, where do you like to go on the road the most?" And I always sort of get rid, like in the Wheel of Fortune when they stipulate R S T N L E. You know, like everybody picked those. You have to say, "Well, you're not counting the, some of the great cities in the world: New York, Boston, Miami." I mean, come on. Uh, once you set those aside. I think Louisville's pretty cool. Um, I'm not a huge, you know, Tallahassee's okay, you know, not not a garden 
spot. I'm not here to. Why, why are we starting the show with this? I don't I know. To start I, think, the, I think it's fascinating. Start the year to disparage uh, other cities because I'm sure nobody here is like, oh, gee, it's great to go to Syracuse. Although I will say this about Syracuse, God bless us. And this I know is not a concern of yours, Polly. I can't think of anywhere else that we travel that has as smooth a transition from the facility where the game was played to getting Gee. your butt in the air. Yeah. Get to the of- airport and get out of here. Let's go. And some of these places you go where, like Brian Higgins is on this trip to uh, Clemson and Blacksburg, back-to-back trips. Those are both one road in, one road out towns, and they're great. They're a lot of fun. I'm not, not disparaging them. It's just it's such a production to get around. It's an hour from the airport in Clemson to uh, the yeah, facility. from the campus to the yeah. yeah. Well, and there's a lot of places like that. Blacksburg's sort of like that. You go to Roanoke, you know, Morgantown, West Virginia used to be like that, et cetera. So uh, do not take that for granted, folks here, that uh, if you are trying to get somewhere, and I know the airport's under construction and it's, uh, you know, not truly probably an international airport and all those. I know it doesn't have a lot of direct flights. The fact that you can get to the airport here pretty quickly from just about anywhere, get up and out, is uh, not to be taken for granted. I know that just as somebody who travels uh, with the sports teams, the football and basketball teams, there's nowhere we go around the ACC or the common uh, non-conference opponents where you uh, get from the stadium or arena where the game was played to the airport faster uh, than I would imagine opposing teams, uh, visiting teams do here in Syracuse. Didn't uh, figure we would start the show uh, or the first show of the new year that way, but uh, that's what we do. We, we uh, shoot from the hip here. 2019, Pauly did not get off to a great start in the pop culture world. Really three major losses yesterday, all 76 years old. I, I can't really go chapter and verse on the captain of Captain and Tennille. But we lost the captain late last night. And then earlier in the day, Bob Einstein, who actually is listed, he played a little college basketball. And when they talk about actors that were athletic, his name comes up. But he was a very, very funny dude. Super Dave. And uh, more recently known. Super Dave as a kid. More recently known as uh, Marty Funkhauser in the uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, shows. And I was looking for maybe a clip that we could play to give somebody a taste. There's nothing I could find quickly that was clean enough. He's so He was so good on the Norm, Mac, Norm MacDonald does his show. He, w- he was a recurring guest on there. He was so good on it. And very, very, very funny. Uh, his episode of uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Jerry Seinfeld. First person to ever do two was he. I think so. <laughs> but also that was sort of a weird idiosyncrasy too, that he came back because he was – just a weirdo or, the, uh, you know, the, it's very awkward and very, very funny. And the funny thing with him was he didn't, he was never an actor. He wanted to right. just, he was in sales and all of a sudden he was, he did a funny public access show and <laughs> the Smothers Brothers hired him. Right, right. So that's a crazy. Yeah, you get the idea that he just sort of uh, fell backwards into it and he's not put on in any way. It's just a naturally very dry, funny guy. Yeah. Super dry. And the first of the losses that I was aware of uh, yesterday, Polly, Mean Gene Okerlund, one of the great voices in sports broadcasting history. Hulk Hogan, you proved it to thousands and thousands of fans, not only here tonight in 
Madison Square Garden, but throughout the wrestling world. You know some meeting? They proved it to themselves. All I asked was for the whole WWE to stand behind the holster. And I told them I'd bring it home for the USA. You know some meeting? It is the dream of a lifetime, Daddy. Oh. There's actually uh, the date of that is actually my ninth birthday, which uh, what a day! Caught, well, not that I remember that from my ninth birthday, just that I saw the the date there. That's kind of places you. That's why me and Gene Oakland, I think, has a, a spot in all of our hearts from from a certain age. Perfectly cast for the role that he played. He and uh, Hulk Hogan obviously had a great relationship. He and Macho Man Savage. Those interviews. Oh yeah, he just tremendous. My favorite part about him, and I was playing a clip for you. He he did not have the ability to keep a straight face while any of this was going on. Like he didn't take it seriously. Like and that's why he was great. He was laughing at these clowns yeah. doing this stuff as it was going on. Well, I think you're right. And then the you know an educated audience watching uh, Mean Gene would get the idea that uh, he knew what was up. And and uh, certainly if you ever saw any of the things where he played a role, let's say in a documentary or something like that, uh, talking about wrestling. Um, and I'm. The day that uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat got injured was my last day in wrestling, but uh, so that, that was a long, <laughs> long, long time ago. Never uh, came back. Yeah. <laughs> I, I gave up on it, but uh, but uh, Mean Gene held that whole thing together. He was a big deal, and uh, sad to see him go at age uh, seventy six. They were all seventy six, right? Yeah, all three of those. It's crazy. Not a good day. Uh, <laughs> Not a good day to be seventy six. No, no, and uh, and we. Uh, wish them the best uh, for in that big uh, three-ring circus in the sky for Mean Gene Oakland. All right, we're off and running here on uh, In the Booth, brought to you by CH Insurance. We'll uh, try to serious it up a little bit with uh, Mike Waters coming in next, his regular Thursday afternoon spot talking orange basketball. The Cuse and uh, Notre Dame, they played very early in the season last year, very early in the season again this year. Uh, an important opportunity for Syracuse to get off on the right foot in ACC play. It's Saturday at noon. At the Joyce Center, that's when we continue. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio. New year, new Polly. He's put some effort in and a new open for Mike Waters, Syracuse.com, Syracuse basketball beat writer. What do you think of that, H2O? The only thing he left out was bridge over troubled waters, right? I don't really like that I one. I had it that's in. It was downer. too soft. It was yeah, too that's weak. a downer. I like, <laughs> well, I like I the other ones. I appreciate the effort. Pretty good. Mike's. Uh, I got to admit, I, I, I heard the first song and I'm like, Really? Waterfall? Where's he going? You know, what's, and then I, it took a couple more, and I, I picked up on the theme. Thought maybe you called the wrong station at first. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's appearance brought to us every week by uh, Driver's Village. It's powered by Driver's Village and Oswego County Mutual Insurance. Good to have uh, them aboard here, Oswego County Mutual Insurance, for the uh, Mike Waters portion of the program on this uh, Thursday afternoon. Mike, Happy New Year. How are things? Uh, things are pretty well. Uh, New Year's is off to a, an interesting start, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting the ACC uh, conference play off to a good start on Saturday at Notre Dame. No doubt. There's only been one conference game so far. It was Notre Dame on the road at Blacksburg on uh, New Year's Day, and uh, Virginia Tech's awfully good. That game was close for a while. Uh, Notre Dame overmatched uh, really by injuries, and they allowed 70% shooting in the second half. Uh, Virginia Tech shot 60% for the game, 
and uh, went on to win that one uh, going away. We can get into the Irish in a bit, uh, Mike, but it's good to see, as you say, just conference play going here. We're going to you know, we need to turn that calendar into the new year. Uh, all of these games become more meaningful and, uh, in theory, more competitive. Yeah, and more meaningful for sure. And, um, you know, familiar matchups. In some cases, you get rivalries. In some cases, it's, you know, you're, you're vying for something now. Conference standings, finishing your league. Um, I'm looking forward. There's a great game tonight. NC State going on the road to Miami. Looking forward to that one. Uh, you know, Syracuse gets its ACC opener next week against Clemson. Uh, Clemson on Saturday, they're going to Duke uh, for a great Saturday night game. So I, I don't know. There's something about conference play, and, and it it doesn't have to be ACC. I mean, if you any other conference you go to, whether it's you know Metro Atlantic or or Big South or whatever, conference play is great, and there's, it just kind of gets the juices flowing. Yeah, how about uh, Clemson's opening schedule in the league at Duke at Syracuse. That's no joke. And I know who, who did who did Brad Brownell make <laughs> mad in the ACC office? I know this is no, uh, you know, not a ranked Syracuse team right now and everything, but still, uh, I'm, and I'm sure Brad Brownell is a great guy. Uh, we'll we'll make a comment to that effect, not necessarily to complain about it, but just to uh, somebody's got to open at Duke, obviously, and to then open at Duke <laughs> and turn around and uh, open at uh, you know at Syracuse's second game, Syracuse women, and we had uh, Brian Higgins on the, the previous show. They start with four of their first five on the road. One of the upshots of that is by the time you've weathered that stretch, then the schedule flips back in your favor as uh, as that balance comes back to you. So The other thing that happens, and not to belabor the point here, but if you're playing Duke and Syracuse at this point in the season, you're playing them when their students are on break. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, it's it's the the carrier dome atmosphere is not going to be what it will be. You know, next Wednesday, what it's going to be in late February. So if you have to play Duke and Clemson on the, uh, Duke, Duke and Syracuse on the road, play them now. Get it over with while the students are gone. Yeah, I'll give you that. And you know, Duke uh, is obviously awesome and, and exceptionally loaded with talent. I guess the earlier you play them, probably the better. I would think. Uh, although the, you know they've been good from the start of this uh, season, the idea that uh, before they even gel even more with. Uh, uh, some of the outstanding talent that they have, you have to figure that uh, Coach K will have them humming by the end of the season. Syracuse plays them in mid-January on the road, and then in uh, late February uh, in the Carry Dome, January 14th, and then February 23rd are the uh, Syracuse Duke matchups. And uh, we're about to see the the conference that comes every time this year, or you know, this part of the year rolls around. Mike, this is uh, certainly. In the ACC, when it's been as loaded as it has been here in recent seasons, this is the part where it's just survival mode, right? That that, that uh, even the best of teams are going to absorb some losses in here because there's just so much quality competition night in and night out. Absolutely right. And this is the time of year when you really get into the one game at a time at approach, and it's actually true. Uh, when, when players and especially coaches talk about it, while fans will look at like the broad scape and, oh, like, you know, for instance, this year, Syracuse, they need to get off to a great start because the ACC schedule is so backloaded. Listen, the coaches might be aware of that, but they really do have to focus in one game at a time because in and of itself, every game's tough. There's very few easy outs uh, in, in the ACC, and there's very few teams that, that can say that they can just roll the ball out there and win a conference game without coming in with, with, with a really good, solid performance. Certainly the way Syracuse has been playing, 
you yeah, you can say like, oh yeah, you know, they they need to get off to a good start to the schedule because you know they got four of their first six conference games at home, and and the end of the schedule is tough. And yes, the end of the season schedule for Syracuse is monstrously tough. Sure, but the way Syracuse has been playing. You can't assume anything like, oh, they'll got to get off to a good start. To No, you know what they have to do? They have to go to Notre Dame first and, and do whatever they have to do and get up a good game plan and play, the, play well and make shots and beat Notre Dame. And then the second game will come. Yeah, that's right. You know, Right now, there are five teams. And I know the RPI is not the, the be-all, end-all uh, of rankings, but just to give you an idea, there's uh, five in the top 36 right now. Uh, three of those are in the top 18. Syracuse is currently 83rd in the RPI, which would not be good enough for a tournament qualification. That's only going to improve as the season goes on, one would figure, because uh, they're going to continue to play uh, good teams here the rest of the way, including a game against Notre Dame on Saturday. All right, so what have we seen here, Mike, in these uh, couple of uh, wins in a row for Syracuse They've coincided with a bit of a lineup change. Pascal Chuku goes to the bench. Marek Dolajai starts, and in that first game, Pascal has 13 boards. Um, anything that you could see that's that's a trend right now that we should be watching? Uh, well, the inserting Marek into the starting lineup seems to have helped a little bit. It's helped offensively. Marek is really facilitates the offense better than Pascal. I like the way Pascal's re- responded. Uh, you mentioned the 13 rebounds in the first game there against Arkansas State when he came off the bench. You know, he turned around, he had six boards in just 15 minutes against St. Bonaventure. That's good work. Uh, if, he need, if he can just keep rebounding the ball and playing good defense, he'll get his minutes. And whether he gets his starting job back or not, it really doesn't matter. Um, he's going to have to play and play well in the minutes he gets because he was never playing 35 minutes a game this year anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of other Elijah Hughes, He's on a nice little run now. Uh, was it now six straight games of 15 or 16 or more points? So he's giving them consistent scoring. On the downside, I think the thing, you're still looking at Frank Howard and, and really questioning, like, you know, where he's at. Is he completely healthy? And if he is completely healthy, at what point do we start seeing the production out of him at the level that was expected. I mean, you know, in the St. Bonaventure game, he's one of three from the field. He misses his only three-pointer. The game before that, he's 0 for 4 from three-point range. He's still just not shooting the ball well at all from three-point range. He, he isn't, and, uh, you know, the results have continued to you – know, I don't know what's what's happening in the games that's actually giving you an idea that it's going to get turned around here. I mean, you can cut him slack for a while based on – one is injury, two his track record. You, you know that uh, last year he had a pretty decent season, but nothing's happening in the games that makes me think, well, okay, well it's just a matter of time. He's going to get more shots to fall, or he, he's going to score the the way that we think he's capable. Exactly, and, and, but right now you, for two reasons, you still have to keep rolling with Frank. One. He is your senior returning starter at the point. I mean, like you said, you've seen what he can do. You saw what he did last year. He averaged 14 and a half points per game. The other reason, too, with, with Jalen Carey hurt in, in recent games, you don't have any other options right now. Right. Jalen got back for the St. Bonaventure game, but you know he's one for five from the field and doesn't make a three. and. You know, three three assists and two turnovers in 19 minutes. Well, that's certainly that's not a performance that's going to take away a starter's job. Uh, certainly not a senior's. So, 
you just have to continue to hope that we find Frank or that Frank finds himself. Because when that happens, I think you start to see the Syracuse team that we all expected to see. Because you get Frank back, Tyus is playing at a good level, so is O'Shea. And the difference maker from last year to this was going to be Elijah Hughes. And Elijah Hughes is doing exactly that. We're just missing that other key piece. Yeah, you know, Hughes, Mike, for me, is remarkably consistent. I'm sure there have been, but I don't recall a player that was in such a tight range the degree he is. He scored 14 points in 11 of the last 12 games. So you you take away the debut, which was a blowout against Eastern Washington. And then he has only scored below 14 uh, twice on the season, that first game included. He's only scored more than 18 once. So it's not like he's going to you know, go light anybody up necessarily. He hasn't demonstrated that yet. But you could pretty much put him in the bank for 15 points. And if that's the case, Syracuse, Jim Beheim, they'd all be thrilled. Right. Because O'Shea is another guy there who's pretty consistent in his contributions. Tyus Battle can be the same. You start throwing in a fourth scoring option with a Frank Howard, now you've got a ball club. But yeah, what Elijah's doing, and I think it's remarkable that Elijah is this consistent. You know, he's coming off a, a year where he had to sit out after his transfer from East Carolina. You go back to his freshman year at East Carolina, he had an early season injury. He never really found a groove. He was anything but consistent down there. Uh, you know, guys don't just transfer after one year, sit out a year, and, and, and start playing like this at the ACC level. Uh, so it, it is pretty – you look at some other guys who have made that transfer that came to Syracuse. Michael Benajay, he didn't do anything close to this his sophomore year at Syracuse. And um, God, before that, I guess you're talking to Ryan Blackwell. Now, you know, Ryan, we'd have to go back and look at his numbers. It, it, you know, I can't remember exactly what Ryan did as a sophomore, but I do remember as junior and senior – Ryan was incredibly consistent, but uh, still, I don't think he scored at this level as a sophomore after transferring to Syracuse from Illinois. You know, to be, like you said, between 15 and 18 points <laughs> nearly every night out, yeah. uh, that's just spectacular. Well, you're, you're going through just the transfers. I would say scores in general. You give me, uh, you know, Andrew White, Demetrius Nichols, uh, Chris Joseph, pe- people like that in recent <laughs> years. I don't know anybody that was in that small a window on a on a regular basis that that their you know their ce- let's say that their floor was as high a- as it is. Even Tyus Battle, for as great as he is, he- he's going to throw an eight point game at you once in a while. And, and Hughes has, but it's it's been just the the two this year, and uh, both of those were lopsided Syracuse wins. All right, a mm-hmm. uh, couple of quick things here. What do you think changes, Mike? come conference play. Syracuse has played some major conference opponents so far and for the most part has uh, been on the short end of that. They did win at Ohio State, which is by far their best win of the year, but the losses uh, to UConn and Oregon, uh, etc. And now not only do you have better material on most of these teams in the ACC, but familiarity. I'm watching a couple things. I'm watching Syracuse's shooting, uh, the shot percentages. They, they've shot really well in the last couple of games. Maybe that's a sign that the offense is kind of waking up and they're getting to where they thought they were going to be. Um, but are those percentages going to continue? And it'll be interesting to see how they can do against Notre Dame. Notre Dame isn't a notorious defensive team, but you're still going on the road and playing an ACC-level club. Can you get good shots? Will you be able to score? And rebounding numbers. 
I'm really interested to see how re- Syracuse can can handle teams that are going to crash the glass on them. You know, Pascal rebounding well in the in the re- two recent games, I think, is a very good sign. But if you're thinking that Marek Dolajai is the answer at the five, now you got him having the rebound at the five and Elijah Hughes at the three, and he's not really a powerful rebounder himself. You know, how much it falls on the O'Shea set at that point. Um, Syracuse could get hurt. You know, I, we'll have to see how Syracuse holds up on the boards over the long haul of the, of the ACC schedule. Quickly on Notre Dame with uh, Mike Waters. And, uh, Mike, this is a, a team where – you know, Rex Fluger was back for his ninth year and, and all these other things. But I, you know, Mike Bray knew going in that uh, he was going to have some losses, obviously, coming off a team that narrowly missed uh, the tournament a year ago. But they've been uh, touched by injury to such a degree here. Uh, Elijah Burns there, and he's just a role player, but he transferred early in the season to uh, Siena. Rex Fluger, a recent injury, he's out for the year. Robbie Carmody, who was uh, on the Syracuse recruiting board, uh, started early uh, for the Irish, and he's out for the year with injury. So they're just scraping by uh, behind T.J. Gibbs. Yeah, they're down to seven uh, healthy players uh, as of you know the game against Virginia Tech early week, and uh, you know that doesn't sound too familiar, does it? Uh, <laughs> Syracuse, Syracuse survived with the exact same number most of last season. Um, yeah, they are riding T.J. Gibbs. Uh, they're getting more contributions out of D.J. Harvey who's coming off a major injury from a year ago uh, when he was just a freshman. He's been able to start every game, but he's doing a little bit better in recent games, which shouldn't be a surprise for a kid coming off of an injury. I think they need more out of John Mooney offensively. He's rebounding at an incredible pace. He's averaging almost a double-double. If he could get a little bit more than 12 points a game, that would help. But, man, that's asking a lot. You you know because you're really asking a guy to kind of step out of his his butt. You know it really was supposed to be Rex Fluger there. You mentioned Robbie Carmody, the freshman going down that hurts them. So I'd, listen, they still got some other good guys. The the, the freshman that they have, Prentice Hub, mm-hmm. I, I think can be a very good player. And and they got the kid that transferred in from UConn, the the the, the Juwan Durham. rather yeah rather slender center. Blocking shots at an incredible rate. It's like insane. He, he has uh, fourteen games. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, he's got four blocks or more in four straight games. He's done it seven times this year. Syracuse. It'll be interesting <laughs> to see what Syracuse. Now, sometimes a shot blocker against this Syracuse team isn't going to have a great effect because unless he's coming over to help on a guy driving to the basket, probably the one guy he's going to affect the most is O'Shea Brissett. Right. When O'Shea Brissett drives to the basket, can he finish at the rim or is the big shot blocker going to affect him in there? Uh, other than that, if you can convince O'Shea and Tyus to take it in there, but take it into his body, um, and boy, this is going all the way back to the early, you know, the, the Georgetown years of the 80s and early 90s, you know, Syracuse teams used to always try to attack those shot blockers and get into their body. When you try to avoid a shot blocker and create a little space between you and him, you're just playing right into his, his strength, and he will block that shot every time. Yeah, Juwan Durham had four blocks, and a lot of those early. He played only uh, 14 minutes due to uh, injury and then uh, fouling out against uh, Virginia Tech on New Year's Day, just as a comparison. And Pascal Chuku isn't uh, the world's greatest shot blocker, but he's 7-2, and he, he gets the job done in there. He's got 22 block shots, and uh, Durham has double that uh, so <laughs> far. So uh, he's off to an incredible start there. Last thing to uh, one to let you go on here, Mike, uh, you and I, share an opinion we were out there in the the twitter sphere early today which is a a dangerous place and you had the same reaction i did where espn has decided 
uh, and I don't know if this is an effort to get more out of their investment or to prop up the Monday Night Football crew. I'm sure it's an easier way out, but they have decided their alternate broadcast of the college football playoff championship uh, with Clemson and Alabama is going to be the Monday night crew and not the coaches' film room, which they popularized in recent years. Yeah, this is really mind-boggling to me for a couple of reasons. One, I um, love the coaches' film room broadcast. I didn't stay there the entire game. I would bounce back and forth. I'd I'd watch the game on the main broadcast, and then if something happened, I'd bounce right over to the coaches' film room to see what they were saying about it. And you know, they would rake it. And then, of course, I would stay there for a little bit and until I wanted to go back to the main. But I love the coaches. You would learn so much about the game. But also you learned a lot about the coaches' personalities uh, a year or two ago, whenever it was. I, I think Dino Babers became a star in that room. Uh, he was fantastic with, with some of his observations. But the real reason I don't understand this move is, okay, so people like the coaches' film room. But, you know, of course, this year's Monday Night Crew has is, is gotten some flack, especially Jason Witten. And so you're trying to, like, prop them up, as you said, and maybe get them a little more. Well, you're not helping that crew <laughs> at all by putting them on this broadcast and replacing something that was good and people liked, you know, put them, if you want to put them in there on one of your platforms, do it, but not at the expense of the film room. Now people are just going to complain about the Monday night crew even more. They're setting them up to fail. (laughs) People complain about everything anyway. So that that's a given, but uh, I I agree with you. They're, They're not putting them in a position to succeed. And We'll see. I'm sure they've got ideas. There's a lot of smart people there. What are you providing that is alternate, right? In other words, the whole yeah. reason for having something is that it's not going to be the exact same broadcast that's kind of the, the straight-up expectation, you know, the Chris Fowler, Kirk Street that we know and love. You've got to do something different, and uh, what they're going to do different, uh, to me, I don't know, unless it's going to be... I don't know, yeah. See, the coaches gave you something different, because yeah. they gave you, like... A- a film room critique of the game that you, you felt like it was real insider baseball there. The other thing too, is like, I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer here on the money. I group, uh, So I'm going to find something positive to say. I love Booger McFarland. I, do I think he's outstanding. And I think putting him out there on that, that little thing that goes up and down the sidelines, that's got to go, but he's got to stay. I think you got to bring Booger up to the booth next season. He's, I think he's that's fantastic. exactly what happens. Uh, you know, and I think he he is he is a likable guy. I don't know if it's the name or whatever, but he he seems like is a guy I could uh, you know enjoy a beverage with and watch the game. And and I don't know so much about the entire rest of the crew that I would feel that way. But uh, but with that one, I do. So uh, all right, Michael, good stuff. We can uh, we could follow up on that. I appreciate it. Safe travels to uh, South Bend. Same to you. Look forward to seeing you there. Sounds good. We'll be there. Mike Waters, it's a noon start at the Joyce Center in South Bend. Mike's uh, weekly visit is powered by Drivers Village and brought to us, as always, by Oswego County Mutual Insurance. Got some good time out of Mike Waters. Today. We did. I felt like we maybe uh, bleeded him a little uh, too far there, but we appreciate it. We we jumped on his capable shoulders, and uh, he carried us uh, right through. We'll do Do We Care when we come back. We've got some more to add, actually, on that uh, film room versus uh, Monday Night Football crew. Not that there's anything we have to say or do about it, but we'll uh, touch base on that when we continue in the booth on ESPN Radio. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care no more. Turning Stone, Casino, and Caesars are combining to create a sports book here in uh, central New York. And it should open sometime in 2019 once approved by federal. Very interesting. I had a, a text from a friend the other day, too, about you know gambling has just become 
now it's a almost a second nature thing. It's much more out in the open than it's been. You see on the graphics, they'll they'll unfurl. You know, this team's playing this team, and out comes the over under and the line, and and uh, it's out in front. I don't think it's going away. Um, might not be everybody's cup of tea, but if that is, uh, you know, how you choose to spend your uh, disposable income, then uh, then go for it. I, I think it's uh, I think it's very interesting that it's coming uh, right here to our backyard. And Turning Stone is smart, obviously, to take advantage of the law changes and the opportunity to do it. And uh, I can't wait to see how it shakes out. Troy Tulowitzki in the news apparently. He is or isn't a New York Yankee. It hasn't. Why not? Fu- isn't it hasn't fully been confirmed anywhere that I can can say with the full a hundred percent assurance. But uh, with Manny Machado in the wings and other things, the Yankees have added depth by adding Troy Tulowitzki. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, it's a no risk play for the Yankees. They pay him the minimum. The Blue Jays are on the hook for the rest. He's a All Star caliber. You know, when he's healthy, he's been the MVP caliber type player. And uh, to put him on the Yankees, obviously, you know, plugs a gap right now uh, with the injuries that they have to deal with uh, in the short term. I saw where it said they would not keep them from going after uh, Machado still. So uh, we'll see where that goes. But Tulitsky's a very likable player. I think it's well chronicled. He, you know, wore uniform number two uh, for being a Derek Jeter fan growing up. And, and, uh, yeah, if he's healthy, he's a great fit. Yeah, that's the main... Even if he's not, he's worth a shot. I mean, he's cheap. Absolutely. I mean, uh, more than a dozen teams were going after. That's why I, I see all this credit given to uh, Brian Cashman for landing him. I think well, every team in baseball just about had to be making a, a play for him because everybody else would have had that same arrangement. You, you pay the minimum and the Blue Jays cover the rest, up to $20 million. Well, we've had athletes in the past year say dinosaurs didn't exist. There was no moon landing. And the Earth, the Earth, is, Earth flat. is flat. Now Juju Smith-Schuster has joined that theory, uh, the conspiracy theory world with water is not wet when he sent this twit tweet out. Water is a liquid that wets things. Wet is the condition of a liquid sticking to a solid surface, such as water wetting our skin. We cannot say that water is wet because it takes a liquid in a solid to define the term wet. I would just love to know how it came to be that he said, yep, I'm going to put this out on on Twitter. So he's obviously saying, I'm going to do something that's going to get a reaction. It's the devil's lettuce. I, I guess so, yeah. But he's he got to sit- be smoking something. something. they got to be sitting around going, what can I do or say that's going to get me attention? With the flat earth and the... The Steelers don't need any more attention No, right now, no. So. I feel, I know you, you and uh, Coach Saddle and I are always comparing notes on the Steelers and I feel for Mike Tomlin, who I think is a good coach, but boy, has he been through it uh, this year. What a I almost think it's time strange, for him to go. Well, maybe. I mean, just uh, I don't know who's going to want to... Well, the talent is what's going to attract people there because they've got that, because what uh, a zoo that feels like that's going to be to... who If somebody, if you were to change coaches tomorrow and bring somebody else in, their number one job would be to tame all the crazy stuff that's going around. People uh, using reporters for the wrong reasons, uh keeping stuff or taking stuff that should be in the locker room and uh, sharing it. That, that's happening too much uh, with the Steelers right now. I think A.B. should stay. I think it's more important to keep Antonio Brown than Mike Tomlin, but I could be 100% wrong. That's why I'm not a general manager. And finally, a television show that has been around 
for decades is returning to the Travel Channel in 2019. Ripley's Believe It or Not will return in 2019. Ten episodes have been ordered. I wonder if that they're going to have as much material. You know, in the, in the social media age with YouTube, anything you want to see, you can see with a couple of clicks. Is there anything we don't know about? Or I think it streamlines it for Or me. I was going to say, is it the other way now? That they're, they have the ability to go find this stuff and... I'm trying to think of what types like, of curiosities they like put on shows. Like world's largest like, tongue, you know. You, yeah. you got to like, and then they do all the ancient uh, stuff that's cursed. Right. That whatnot, and it'll be broadcast. You will from, be watching the show. I can tell that. That'll, yeah, I like this type of stuff. This will be a big uh, yeah, guys kill time on the road material for most, you. Most nails into nose and right. stuff like that. Amazing. Watch Talking about how people spend their time. <laughs> and here's another way you can uh, spend time if you're, I'd rather have nails in my nose. Into the devil's lettuce <laughs> or whatever it is that uh, Paulie is suggesting. You can join Seth Everett Saturday at the Buried Acorn Brewery for pre- and post-game coverage and a watch party for the Notre Dame basketball game with the Orange on the road for their ACC opener. It all starts with the pregame at 11. You can hang out with Seth and the gang for my ESPN Syracuse for the watch party. And then as soon as the game ends, Seth is back on the air here on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1 live at the Buried Acorn Brewery on Saturday. Sounds like a lot of fun. We'll be in South Bend painting those uh, word pictures for you. When we come back, more on this uh, idea of the college football playoff. Is it Alabama-Clemson fatigue? Do you buy in any of that? If you'd like to sneak in a late phone call, you can do it at 4 ESPN 44. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth, presented by CH Insurance, in your corner. Good to have CH Insurance along for the ride, as always. Hope you'll be out at Carabas tonight, folks. For the uh, Orange Basketball Program, Jim Beheim's show brought to you by AmeriQ. That's on uh, TK99 tonight. Syracuse women play at uh, Clemson in their uh, ACC opener. Part of a, a stretch where they play four out of five on the road to open uh, ACC play in a twofer on this trip, Clemson and uh, then Virginia Tech. For the uh, Syracuse women, are ranked number 14 and uh, off to an 11-2 and non-conference start. We'll uh, cross that bridge when we come to it, but uh, get into the uh, college football playoff, which is uh, Monday night. It's in San Francisco, Santa Clara. That's the tough spot. Uh, great stadium. Not a great college football area. You have to figure that the college football, you know, the, even Alabama Clemson aside, and they're so far ahead of everybody that you have to bank on them uh, being in these games or close, that. Uh, you know, you might have some attendance issues with this one. It's a thousand dollar plane flight for them. I, for one, am not fatigued by Alabama, Clemson. They're the the two best college football programs. They're funded the best. They have the best staffs. They have the biggest commitment. I have no problem that they play. I, I understand for some fans they uh, tune out. They want to mix it up. I'm an eight team uh, playoff guy, but uh, I don't know that that would have changed things this time around. People are kind of overreacting. Be- based on the uh, semifinals this time not being competitive. A uh, couple of dud games in there. It's not been a tremendous bowl season in general, but uh, one more college football game left on Monday. Hope it's a good one. Hope the uh, basketball game Saturday is a good one. And hope you can join us tonight at uh, Carabas to uh, talk hoops with Coach Beheim. For Polly, I'm Matt. Thanks for listening, everybody. Back next week in the booth.